Hello, my name is Deacon Brian. Welcome to the Shepherd of the Hills Sermons Podcast. Every week we share our Sunday morning sermons with you to keep these important conversations going. We hope you not only enjoy hearing our words of God's love for you, but will also feel compelled to share these words with everyone who needs to hear this message. As always, we encourage you to keep the conversation going at home, at work, and everywhere you go. This week, Pastor Scott talks about the story of Jesus healing the Gerasene demoniac and how Jesus crosses all of the boundaries and borders. So sit back, relax, and let us dive into this week's sermon. Our lesson today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 5. They came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the, Gera- of the Geron- Gerasenes. Uh, and when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among, night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you done? What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure to you, God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we, are the, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us to, into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned in the lake. The swine herds ran off and, to- and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they were began to beg Jesus to leave the neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. The word of our Lord. Uh, Before I start this morning, just as my usual thing, a little preamble. Um, If you haven't heard, uh, the Gospel of Mark is my favorite hands down, by far. Uh, If you have not taken up my plea to go home and read the Gospel of Mark, please do so. Uh, I think you will find it um, worth your time. Uh, And um, the the reason I like Mark so much is because Mark doesn't splain much. Uh, You got to do the splaining yourself. Uh, And so in that way, I really like it because I think there's lots of different ways to enter in. Um, And in fact, there is way too much in this story for me to cover in 15 minutes. So um, I set myself a timer. Buckle up. We got lots to do this morning. Um, So hopefully, we're just going to go through it chunk by chunk. So let's pray. The Lord be with you. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this morning and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew so that we too might then live out that which we believe. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I should also mention this is one of my absolute favorite stories uh, in all of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's probably for two reasons. One, uh, I had a professor in seminary who really loved this story. And also, I remember when I was a kid, this story actually never comes up in the regular lectionary. It's not part of the regular lectionary. Uh, but for some reason, when I was a kid, somebody in my church, uh, one of the pastors preached on it, but that's not what I remember. What I remember is my mom, who is an artist, drew a picture of pigs running into the sea on the bulletin, and I thought that was hilarious. Uh, and I, I can still picture the little pigs that she drew, and they're sort of running down this cliff and bloosh, splashing into the water, uh, and I thought that was great. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. The first thing is, um, I want to walk through the story sort of chunk by chunk. So the first question that uh, I have to ask is, Jesus, where in the world are you going? Uh, he's getting into a boat, and if you know anything about the ancient Near East, people are not good swimmers. This is not Minnesota. You don't go and take a vacation down by the lake and go for a swim because you don't know what's in there. So even though there are people who are fishermen in Jesus' day, uh, they're not exactly super comfortable on the water. In fact, at night, that's where evil spirits live. And in this particular case, Jesus is going out of bounds, which Mar in Mark's gospel, Jesus does all the time. He's going to places that he shouldn't go to. We are leaving Jewish territory and entering into Gentile territory. In other words, we're going someplace that Jesus as a Jew probably shouldn't go. Uh, the way I like to say it, he's going into a foreign country. Or the way Rinda Silla would say it, he's going into a corn country. Okay? Across the, ski, across the sea. Not only do we know that this is out of bounds, there are people who are actually tending pigs. Now, if you're Jewish, nobody tends pigs. You know what a shepherd is but you're not tending the pigs because the pigs are unclean. So not only is this out of bounds, it's someplace that's unclean. And when we get there, we're going to encounter a man who is super unclean or out of bounds. Uh, he's living among the tombs. He's possessed. Uh, he is someone who no one should touch or even look at or have an interaction with. And here's my question. Why is Jesus going there? The story doesn't say. Why does Jesus decide to go there? Why does Jesus go out of bounds? You have to decide. Did Jesus know that there was somebody over there that needed help? So he woke up one morning and decided to go? Had he heard about this guy who was in the tombs all bound up? The story doesn't say. Here's one of the things that I think, and this is reading the whole Gospel of Mark in particular. Jesus doesn't really give much of a care about boundaries or borders or countries. Jesus cares an awful lot about individual hearts and minds and souls. Jesus is not a particularly good respecter of boundaries and borders. And I think that should say something about the way th we think about boundaries and borders. Jesus is much more interested in healing and wholeness and life and love. In fact, I'm not sure that God really gives too much of a care about borders and boundaries, but God cares an awful lot about the people that live on often what we might describe as the wrong side of the tracks. Okay, point number one, think about that. You can argue back. Anybody has a question, feel free. I don't think God cares much about boundaries. Okay, here's the second one. And this is the place where I think we often get stuck in this story. At least this is where I get stuck. Um, Jesus heals somebody in this story, and it seems incredibly miraculous, doesn't it? Is this not one of the very first places that you get stuck? Do you, hello? 
Yes? Do you get stuck here? No? You don't? I get stuck here. Why all of a sudden does Jesus heal somebody? Don't you wonder about that? I wonder about that a lot. When Jesus encounters people and they get healed, um, one of the things that you should think about is that Jesus wasn't the only healer in the first century. There were others who did this. The other thing to think about this person who is bound and out of their mind and possessed is that in the ancient Near East, if you went close to somebody, we don't understand in the first century how disease works. You might catch whatever they have. This is why you don't touch these people or get too close to them. And I think we all kind of at least have some similar experience to that. We don't like to associate with people who think differently than we do. Why is that? Or we certainly don't like to associate with people that we think less of because they might rub off on us or something, right? Am I wrong about that? I think I'm right about that. Anyway, this guy is unclean, uh, and he's unclean like to the 10th degree. He's in the tombs, he's naked, they have tried to bind him, he has broken those chains, and he is hurting himself. In fact, the story says he is self-abusive. Now, I wonder if it's possible that we could think about this disease in terms of just simply degrees. Don't, don't we all hurt ourselves in a whole bunch of different ways all the time? I mean, this person clearly is possessed by something horrible. But to a certain degree, haven't we all, really? And when Jesus encounters him, certainly the man is healed. But here's one of the things that I think about. When God comes to town, healing and life take place. And my question is this, why as modern people do we find it less miraculous when a doctor cures somebody? Or somebody who is a mental health provider helps somebody? Is it not actually quite miraculous that we have been able to understand how these things actually work to the point where sometimes, not always, Sometimes we can heal people. It's also interesting to note that Jesus doesn't heal everyone. Jesus doesn't walk into town and everybody who has any malady at all is suddenly made better. Just this guy. Why, why is that? Why don't we heal everybody? Why do we sometimes choose not to heal everybody? I actually find it completely miraculous that we have brains that can actually figure out how these things work, and sometimes we can heal people. Is it not possible to consider the fact that Jesus' power of healing actually has been dispersed more widely? That we have healed more people, actually, maybe than Jesus had? Is that not miraculous? To me, I find it actually quite miraculous that you can go get a simple flu shot and not get the flu, or at least not get all of the flu. I find that actually to be unbelievable that somehow God's love and power of healing has been dispersed so greatly. Why is it that we, these fragile human fleshy creatures that have made out of dirt, have any ability at all to understand the world? I find that as miraculous as the fact that when Jesus walks up and heals somebody. Couldn't we say that God at the same time has been at work through us and in us and with us? Wouldn't we actually maybe say that that's God's Holy Spirit at work in the world? I think so. I think we should be humbled and in awe of such a gift. Um, point number two. 
Point number three. <laughs> One of the things that I think is interesting about this story, too, is that lots of people in lots of different faith traditions will often try to figure out, well, this guy came to Jesus and wanted to be healed. And have you ever heard this before, if you've ever been ill or known somebody who has been ill? Well, if they just prayed harder or just believed a little bit more, then it would happen. I, I want you to look very closely at this story for just a second. I believe it's Jesus who makes the first move. Now, you can go all the way back to the beginning of the story, and we can start where the story actually starts. Why in the world does Jesus cross this boundary to go heal this guy in the first place? Does this guy have any idea that Jesus is on his way? No. It's Jesus who makes the first move. Now, you might read further in the story, and you can please do this, pull out your bulletin and notice in verse 8. This is something, maybe I'm making too big a deal of this, but you can check this out and decide for yourself. Uh, notice in verse 8, the man does come running to Jesus as soon as he sees him. But what's really interesting in the way that the text tells this story is that in verse 8, it says, For Jesus had said to him, it looks in the story like the guy makes the first move. But instead, I would argue the story actually subtly and sneakily makes it Jesus' first move. That Jesus sees him far off and starts talking to him. Before the guy sees him, it's why the guy starts running after him. And the guy starts running after him and, is, and it, he's accusing him. This should be frightening. This guy who's possessed is suddenly running after Jesus. And when he gets there, he says, what are you going to do with me? Are you going to torment me? But it's Jesus who makes the first move. Confession, forgiveness, belief, and trust are not prerequisites for God's love. Never. It's the reason we baptize babies. Because like the prodigal son, which could really be called the crazy father, who runs out to greet his son, God is always coming after you first. God is no respecter of your own boundaries or even your desire to be healed. <laughs> God is actually coming to you first. And I think that's super important. We certainly practice our faith, but we practice our faith and come to worship and pray and do devotional things so that we might fully experience the love that God is already pouring out for us. It's never salvific. It's always the other way around. God is always coming for us. You can argue with me about that. I think it's in the story. All right, point number four. Oh, I'm doing great. <clears throat> Here's the other little bit that I find so interesting about the story. <laughs> This guy comes up running at Jesus, and he is clearly possessed. And he, Jesus, actually listens to this guy. This is crazy. Jesus starts talking to this demon, and this evil, this thing that has possessed Jesus, and Jesus listens to him. In fact, I think you could make the argument that Jesus interacts with this evil and pauses for just a second and considers the possibility of having a conversation with it. Now, I think that's weird. Because why doesn't Jesus just get rid of this evil? Why does Jesus have a conversation with this? I wrote down this. Why does Jesus negotiate with this terrorist? This one who is terrorizing this poor person. 
Why does Jesus bother to listen to the evil? Even more so, why does the evil bother to trust Jesus enough to be vulnerable enough to share his name? This is the craziest thing. It's part of the way the story turns. In the ancient world, if you know the name of a demon, you have power and control over it. And there's all sorts of double entendres going on about this story. Legion would have also been a code word for all the Roman soldiers that were the occupying people in this particular territory. So when the demon says that they are legion, they're also talking about the occupants of that territory physically. I think there's the possibility that God in the person of Jesus is not so intent on destroying evil as redeeming it. I think this is so important in this day and age when we have decided to demonize our opponents in so many different ways. God's hope is to redeem even the evil. And Jesus, as God's representative, loves the evil so much, he gets that evil to reveal its most vulnerable self, its name. Now, the story should sound or would sound funny if we were Jewish, in fact, because what the demon wants to do is to go into the pigs. Well, if you're Jewish, of course, you're not, you don't care much about the pigs. So the, the demon goes into the pigs, and then, the, as my mom showed, the pigs run into the water, and they get baptized. They get redeemed. But what's weird about that is they actually end up doing it on their own accord. Jesus isn't the one who ends up destroying the evil. The evil destroys itself. I, I find that so interesting and fascinating. I wonder what it would be like to live in such a way and have conversations with those with whom we disagree as if we both believe that we were somehow being redeemed in that conversation. I think it would be a very different way of live. And I think it's the way Jesus tried to model for us that we are to live. To, that, that our interactions with each other are actually to be redemptive for us and for our partners. I think this is exactly what Martin Luther King meant when, all of our, uh, when he talked about all of our situations being bound up together. When one person is bound, we are all bound. And that our redemption comes collectively, not individually. That's point number four. Um, <clears throat> Point number five, and this is the last one, and this is maybe the most tricky. There's lots of other things that we could talk about in this story. If I had another 25 minutes, we could get into it, but I'm just going to do this last one. Um, I don't know if you noticed the reaction of all of the people around who were already sort of in their right minds. Um, do you, did you catch uh, what happens to the people who witness this happening? What happens? How, what's their reaction? They beg him to leave. Why? Why do they beg him to leave? It's such an amazing twist in the story. The person who has been bound and shackled and tormented suddenly is well. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's sitting there with them. It's this beautiful image of this person who has been so sick is suddenly well. And all of the people in the story, one of the things that usually happens in American audiences when we read about this story, they're always worried about the pigs. And they think the people are angry because Jesus just killed all their pigs. <laughs> they just lost all their property, right? Uh, that actually is not why they're uh, so... Oops, I'm out of time. That's it. Done. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> well, I am. But anyway, th 
they're not afraid or they're not mad because of the pigs. They're afraid. They're afraid of Jesus. And I find that to be so amazingly interesting. Because if you know the end of the story, the Gospel of Mark ends with a bunch of people being afraid. In fact, the last phrase of the Gospel of Mark goes like this. The women fled from the empty tomb, for terror and amazement had gripped them, seized them. And the last word in the Gospel is, phobeomai. They are afraid. The sick man, when he comes to Jesus, is afraid. Proverbs 9, and one of the prominent themes in the Old Testament, is that we are to fear and love God. Martin Luther says this in the, in, in the small catechism all over the place, fear and love God. And to be perfectly honest, if I read the story and I let the story wash over me, I'm a little afraid too. Because Jesus is out of control. <laughs> He's out of my control. He's out of your control. He is completely possessed by God's love, which is crazy. It crosses all sorts of boundaries. It doesn't care who you are or where you live. It doesn't care what you think or what you say. God's love is on the loose and it's coming after you. And frankly, that's terrifying. If your stomach doesn't flip just a little bit because you are suddenly finding yourself out of control, I'm not sure that you've actually heard this story. It's crazy, I know, but I think the only one in the whole world that's worthy of being fearful and worthy of being loved is God. And I also think that if and when this truth has finally captured you, as it says in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, when that has happened to you, you have begun the journey of both faith and freedom. And when you have that happen to you, suddenly you will find yourself clothed and in your right mind, where you are healed and loved and humbled and set free. Amen. Thanks for stopping by and listening to the Shepherd of the Hills Sermons podcast. For more information about Shepherd of the Hills, please check out sothchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Feel free to share this sermon and be sure to follow us on social media and wherever you find your podcast. Go in peace, serve the Lord.